All right. Well, good evening, everyone. Uh, it's Brian Zimmerman here, executive editor of Jazz Is Magazine. And I just want to welcome you to another episode of the Jazz Is Last Call. If you're watching along with us on Facebook and YouTube and the Jazz Is Backstage Pass podcast, if you're listening in the audio version, uh, we've got a great episode in store for you tonight. In a minute, we are going to be joined by a powerhouse husband and wife team consisting of drum legend Dave Weckl and Italian vocalist Clivia Tanisi. Together, they have released a brand new EP called Love's Way Back that is just a thing of beauty. Um, Dave, you know, was named one of the 25 best drummers of all time by Modern Drummer Magazine. He's a fusion icon that has played with the likes of the Chick Corea Electric Band, with Mike Stern, with Lee Rittenauer, with Steve Gadd, with a host of others, uh, and his instructional videos on drum have become kind of essential viewing material for aspiring drummers. Clivia Tanisi has been performing as a jazz vocalist since she was a child in her native Italy in a variety of styles, jazz, R&B, soul. She took a break from singing for a while to perform the hardest and most rewarding job in the world. That would be raising her two amazing daughters. Now she is back with this five-song EP. Uh, we're going to be hearing from them both. They are joining us from Italy. You know, we like to joke that this is the world's earliest last call. Well, it's like two in the morning over there, so it really is last call for for them. They're here. I've got my bourbon at hand. What do you say we go one more round with Dave Weckel and Clivia Tanisi? Hey guys, are you there? Hey. We're here. <laughs> Hello. Thank you. Hey, hey, thank you so much for joining us. Like I say, it's late over there, but it must in a lot of ways feel like the old days of being on the road in the clubs out till two in the morning. So thank you for staying up with us uh, and having a round with us. As our viewers know, one of the first things we do on this show is a toast. We celebrate someone, some place, some idea, some thing. So who, what, where, when, why are we honoring with this first glass? Okay, well, we didn't know about this, so um, Frank, all I got is the plain water, and we've only got one, but what we're going to toast is, is us seeing each other, actually, for the first time in six months, because mm -hmm. the pandemic kind of just slammed everything we were supposed to be together or at least three or four times between February and now, and of course it couldn't happen. So, um, and so to I, the health uh, yeah. that we have, yeah. but, I love so it. I, so I found out that I could come, and so yes, we're we're toasting that. Just got here last night, so the timing for me is not so bad. It's jet lag anyway. It doesn't matter. <laughs> right, so, you don't know what time it is. Yeah. Exactly. Well, cheers to that. Um, cheers. I guess salut. That's right. Salute. Yeah. Salute. And before we move on, let me remind people watching, uh, please let us know where you're watching from. Say hi to Dave and Clivia. We already see people chiming. Jonathan in the UK, Byron from Colombia. Uh, let us know where you're watching from. And I also want to know if you've seen Dave in person, a concert. If you've seen Clivia in person at a concert, let me know when, let me know where. Let me know how it changed your life, because I'm sure it did. Um, and uh, also, I don't have to be the only one asking questions here. If anyone watching online has a question for Dave or Clivia, write it in now, uh, and we'll get to it at the end of the show. All right. Uh, so the new EP is really good. Love's Way Back. And, uh, you know, it is... Clivia, a kind of a comeback story for you. That is awesome. So Dave and Clivia, I'm kind of curious about the conversation that led to the start of this disc. Hey, let's do this. Let's record something. Um, let's get it going. You want me to tell the story? Oh, yeah. or you want to tell the story? <laughs> oh, you tell the story I tell first. the story? Okay. 
Well, it's it's quite a long story, actually, because um, we met about 11 years ago, uh, actually almost to the day, and um, I was on tour with Mike Stern, and this lovely lady came to see the show, and the rest is history, as they say. Um, I had no idea she was a singer until five years after we were together, <laughs> maybe. I had no clue, but she was just a so... Um, it, it, her her energy and her love for the music was was so inspiring that it was uh, it was wonderful and then I found out that she that she sings actually that's not true I knew that you sang because you did yeah. you did a gig yes. you told me yeah but you kind of were keeping it from me you know yeah <laughs> anyway um, uh, and it it was you know she, she's got two lovely daughters that she raised and so she kind of took off the time as you said from singing, and um, uh, over the last few years, I've been encouraging her to just get back into it for fun, if nothing else, and to do it, and um, and she found the courage to to practice and get back into it, and I said, well, hey, let's just put together this, um, let's just do some songs, pick some songs, and, you know, we'll, I'll help produce it, and get it, you know, get the, get a little five-song EP going, and, and We'll just throw it up there and have some fun with it and try to sell it and blah blah blah. So, <laughs> so I, that was it. She agreed. She picked the songs and it. You know, I'll let you tell the story about the songs. Um, you know, because there is a story behind the choice of the material. Um, and I, uh, I enlisted uh, the likes of George Whitty, who's just an amazing talent. Awesome, uh, yeah, keyboards, yeah. Guy producer that is who's played with everybody and. He and I go back to the Westchester days and playing with the Brecker Brothers occasionally and, um, and, and Chris Mendoki's band. And we've, we've, we've had a lot of history together. And George is one of the best arrangers out there. So he took these songs and just made them fantastic. Yeah. And then enlisted my brother Tom Kennedy on the acoustic bass and our friend Bob Franceschini plays sax on one of the tunes. So, so we threw it together and and that was, that was kind of it. And then we were going to put it up you know, and just do it ourselves, put it on TuneCore and blah, blah, blah. And, and, uh, and these friends of ours, the Silverman Brothers in St. Louis, um, were putting on a show last year for my band, a reunion band, and we all had met there. She was with me in St. Louis at the time. And um, and she just, she really wanted the Silvermans. I love these guys. We want them, want them to help me, you know, figure out how to sell yeah. this. And long story short, they invited her to be on their label, on Autumn Hill Records. Um, so then it kind of turned into, oh, this is kind of like for real. We're going to put this out, you know, and put it on a record label and do, uh, you know. And they've been terrific. And 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 Mike Wilfazeski has been terrific uh, to, I think he's the one that actually got this together for us to do it. So... Um, this little interview and hang here with you guys. So that's kind of the story. We just we did we did a lot of the recording here in our little room that I had put together in Italy, and uh, we did all the vocals here, and I did one of the drum tracks here, and the rest we did back in L.A. Uh, and but it was a completely layered record, um, and um, and I threw it together. We mixed it. I mixed it in L.A. and and. Uh, and that's it. So it is. It is a, a beautiful. Of, she did a couple of videos for, and they filmed her and her daughter Gael. They filmed here at the, at the house. That's uh, kind of on a hill with beautiful landscapes. So it's um, 
and it's a, it's a couple of videos out there to go along with everything. So. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful record, you know, nice mellow grooves. Um, and you know, I'm curious, Dave, you said that you kind of knew, you knew that uh, Clivia was a singer. Clivia, did, were you, did you listen to Dave's music prior to meeting him? Were you into the stuff he was doing with Chick Corea and Mike Stern and it's a funny story. First of all, <laughs> thank you for inviting me here and me and Dave. Our pleasure. Cool, really cool. Our pleasure. And then about the story, when I was 14, actually, uh, maybe before that, I was listening to this Chikoria, one of my friends gave me a chance to do, oh, listen to this electric band, you know, but I didn't know anything of Dave and the guys, you know, I was new in the jazz world at, at that time, at that age. And then uh, when the guys of my band, uh, when I was playing in the South, they said, oh, we go to this gig of Mike Stern and then the clinic of Dave. We go, who? For five times, I didn't know who he was, the name. I mean, I'm not the drummer. Fan, you this, know. Was, this was fast forward uh, 2000. Yes. Right? So, yeah. after, after that, so, yeah, and then when I saw him, I fell in love soon. <laughs> awesome. And what music did you bond over? Because, Dave, I know growing up, you were like a rock guy turned jazz guy, right? Well, you know, in, in the very beginning, you yeah. know, I, I was playing to rock records. But, you know, because of my father, I, I got into jazz pretty early. I mean, it was because he, he was a piano player that messed around with ragtime stuff. So there was, you know, he had Pete Fountain uh -huh. records playing. And, oh, nice. And, uh, and then he brought, he brought home a Buddy Rich record when I was 12, I think. And that, that was really kind of me diving in and, and just, uh, you know, getting into the jazz side of things. So... But uh, but I had always loved the the rock aspect of it, you know. So, but uh, but yeah, I, I, I would say that I kind of went the jazz direction at a, at a pretty early age. But, so was Buddy Rich kind of the jumping off point? And who else did you get into to kind of cultivate a style early on? Well, you know, actually, Jack Sperling was really my first mm. big influence. That played with Pete Fountain and and uh, you know many others. He was yeah. a phenomenal drummer and and. Uh, he played so clean, and you could really—it was easy to copy, you know. <laughs> so I, I just learned everything I could from from Jack, and then then he brought the Buddy record home, and I was like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole different spectrum of the instrument, yeah. yeah just, but yeah, he was really the one that inspired the—I would say—the the the crazy, you know, obsession with it all. Yeah, yeah I was going to ask, like, what as your ear developed, what were you listening to that you really admired in drummers? Because I'm a trumpet player, and for me, you know, it's uh, clean lines, fluid tonguing. That's my thing. That's what I really hone in on. You know, the high notes, you know, yeah. I appreciate them, but somebody with a real clean, smooth line. So what were things that your ears naturally gravitated to? Well, um, I didn't. I, I don't think I realized this until later because obviously the you know Buddy's technical ability is still unsurpassed today, and, and right. what he was able to do on the instrument, and so I was always attracted to the precision to somebody that just could could do that kind of stuff. Um, but really, you know, it it comes down to for me the emotional aspect that's put that's put through the instrument. Right. And I don't think Buddy ever got a lot of credit for that in when he was doing it. I mean, he did later, but uh, but when he was doing it, uh, it was all about his chops. And it was like, man, you're missing the whole point, you know, because it was all about the the emotion, putting the emotion through the instrument. Mm. I mean, he was he was 
comical on the drums. He was right. he was uh, angry. He was sensual. He had all this stuff going on. That was and so a lot of other drummers that I really really aspired uh, to to be like and listen to like Steve Gadd and you know and Vinny and Peter Erskine and you know the the list goes on and on of also the you know the history of of all the guys that that played like that Philly Joe Jones yeah you know with all the all the jazz guys that I got into later actually um, you know it's that emotional aspect combined with the precision that that's what really turns me on very cool. And how about you, Clevia? What, you know, I hear some Ella in your voice, you know, with some of the scatting that you do on the disc. Um, so I'm curious, who were some of your vocal influences growing up? I said that the first okay. Ella, <laughs> Nailed I fell it. in love with her, and then Sarvon, and all the big singers. And then after, starting with them when I was 14, and then I met uh, Diana Kroll or all the other new singers, wow. you know, yeah. I love them. And then I was let them, let, let my daughter sleep with Diana Kroll, actually, yeah. <laughs> with the music. So that's, that was my influence. Yeah. Since I was 14 that I met the jazz, um, thank to my friend that it said, oh, listen to this, that's about trumpet players, you know, they were oh, beautiful, these trumpets, they were playing like, oh, it was giving me goosebumps. It was great. <laughs> very nice, very nice. Well, Dave, you mentioned you have played with a whole litany of people. So I wanted to try a little experiment here, a little game. Uh, we're going to share some images of people you have played with, and if you have any, you know, stories or what it was like to play with them, and I'd also love to hear... Oh, nice. Clevia's impressions on the music because I guarantee Clevia had heard some of this stuff as well. So I'm going to start a uh, screen share here. And number one is going to be here we go Simon and Garfunkel, mm -hmm. the 1983 reunion tour. You were on this record and tour, correct, Dave? Well, there wasn't a record, actually. Oh, that's right. I'm thinking of the Central yeah. Park one, yeah. Yeah, 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 because Steve, Steve Gadd was usually doing all those, all those gigs, and he had taken some time off, and, and I, was, I was lucky enough to get this call. And, and um, you know, that's why it's, you know, for this record that we did, um, you know, and this brings, this brings up the topic, I love playing with singers. I love to, right. be, to be able to play behind great singers, you know, to, to give that support. So... So people that hear this record, they may not even know it's me. It's like a, I'm playing brushes on half of it, and if not most right. of it. And uh, but but playing playing behind Paul and, and Art, the you know, and Paul was the main songwriter, of course. Right. And uh, man, just to play that music and try to try to make it work, you know. And of course, I was kind of sitting in in Steve's chair, so that was. That was intimidating to begin with. I mean, I was 23 when I did this gig, so wow. um, and I uh, and I was I was just trying to do it, and I never took my eyes off Richard T because I knew Richard, the you know musical director, um, yeah. piano player that left us way too soon. He was just a, a big teddy bear that I loved so much, and he he was great. But that but yeah, playing playing that tour, I I went basically out of doing club dates into that seven and a half week tour so that it was just like here up to there and <laughs> in the uh, like unbelievable wow, you know. no and i've heard that paul really knew his music inside out and knew the little adjustments that each player could make uh to kind of fit what he heard yeah yeah he would uh he would he would we'd be <clears throat> rehearsing and he would kind of just 
walk around and listen and look and listen and, and say stop. And right. Go to he'd go to to what he was hearing and basically and it happened to me one time not on that tour but it happened to me later when I did some gigs in the early nineties. Um, and he heard something I, I was doing that just wasn't working for him. And, and I, he sat there and worked with me for probably 45 minutes, you know, to get the groove with the brushes. Wow. And of course, like I said, Steve is like the master at playing these brush grooves, man. And I didn't, at that age, I didn't, I didn't practice enough brushes. I still kind of suck at it. I'm not that great. So, I don't know, know about that, Dave. And I actually got Steve to give me a lesson in a hotel room one time in Japan. I begged him. I said, Steve, please give me a lesson. He showed me his hip thing. I was like, wow, no wonder it feels so great the way you Wow. But, uh, Very cool. But yeah, it was, that was a fun, fun moment. With Paul. Paul is one of my favorite songwriters of all time. I put him up there in the Pantheon with Bob Dylan and Leonard Cohen. Clivia, how about you? How do, uh, Paul's lyrics, how do you feel about them? I was so young when I was hearing this music and I said, wow, what a beautiful song. But actually, then after I met these old singers of jazz, I left them. Aha. <laughs> Once you found jazz. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I left that. I'm sorry. Sorry. And then I just followed the singers and everything else. But it's beautiful song they, they did right. I mean, I heard some of the version that the other guys, singers, they do. It's unbelievable. They make great the song. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. All right. Next on the list is uh, here you are with the electric band. This is semi-recent. This is more recent. But, uh, you know, you've been with the electric band for a while. It was 85 when you joined that group, right? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what was Chick like as a leader? Um, because he is, in my opinion, one of the most inventive modern songwriters in, in terms of the jazz idiom, uh, really with how he can tell a story through his music. So I'm cur curious if he's really specific about how he wants the music to sound or if it's kind of more free flowing. Um, a little bit of both. First of all, Chick, Chick is, has been and you know was and still is one of the greatest you know leaders that I've ever worked for. One of the greatest musicians I've ever worked with. One of the most prolific songwriters that I've ever heard. And it's uh, he told us the story one time of um, uh, one of the songs on um, on Eye of the Beholder. Um, and I'm, I'm spacing on the name of it now, but he said that he woke up out of a dream, dreaming the song, had to get up, go and write it down. It was an entire song. Wow. <laughs> I, like, well, I believe okay. it. From him, I believe but, it. Um, but yeah, that, that shot on screen is actually from my drum cam. I mixed that show. I remember it. I took the video and uh, and uh, and did the did the production on that. And that was one of the one of the gigs from, you know, like you said, a recent tour, you know, maybe a couple yeah. years ago. It might have yeah. been in um, <clears throat> Thailand or something. But um, right. Um, but yeah, this, uh, the, the guys in this band, I mean, you know, 1985 is when John and I, it was that trio that you're looking at right there. It was the, it was the nucleus and the original, original, right. you know, uh, formation of the electric band. It started as a trio and, um, and of course the end result, the other guys that you don't really see are Eric Marienthal and Frank Ambali. And uh, what a chemistry this band has. And in fact, we're, you know, if this pandemic ever goes away, we've got some gigs booked and there's there's things that are going to start happening again next year. There's Chick's all excited about the electric band. Uh, he's getting his masters back. He's going to release some stuff from the, you know, and some uh, 
and some new stuff and hopefully to do another record. So it's still going, yeah. you know, it's, it's yeah. He's, he's yeah. Just incredible. We had Chick on the show, and yeah, he was. This is something he was so excited for: is the reunion of this band and getting it back together. Clevia, do you recall the first time you met Chick? Oh, I was <laughs> on another planet. Yeah. When I met them, you know, all these guys have something really in their soul. You know, that you recognize like light, and then original, original this positivity and beautiful energy you know that like you and everybody else but chick <laughs> but chick uh, i mean it's really something else i mean i cannot describe i feel in another planet when he plays and i feel this perfect harmony with the universe that's what i feel about the music of chick yeah every huh. time they play together I mean, the music's fantastic, but when they when they do play the music, it's perfect. It's perfect harmony with the universe. That's what absolutely. I feel. And yes. a nicer guy does not exist. Uh, no, oh, Chick is just the best. best. I mean, perfect. <laughs> yep. All right. We'll end with this one. You also brought him up. This is a very young uh, Steve Gadd here. Jeff, can we pull that one up? There we go. A very young Steve Gadd, but you know, you you played with him, um, you know, right against him, pretty much on Master Plan, your album from from 1990. There was a track you did squaring up against him. What was it like to play side by side two drummers with Steve Gadd on that album? Well, first of all, Brian, I have to I have to correct you. There's a, a word, not against, with. With, that's right. <laughs> that's I'm, right. I'm attempting, I'm attempting to play with. Okay. Um, now, I'll tell you about the sessions, very specific, because uh, the first time I ever heard Steve play, I was 16, and I was in a parking lot um, in St. Louis hanging with Tom and Ray Kennedy. Um, and Ray was Tom's brother that passed away also way too soon. But um, we were we were in the we were in the parking lot. I think we were there to see uh, Maynard Ferguson with Peter Erskine, and <clears throat> and Ray says, "Hey, come here for a minute. I got something for you to hear." And uh, and I had only known about big band drummers and some. I was into Billy Cobham and you know some fusion stuff, but um, hadn't heard any of this. And he puts this on, and I had never heard anything like it in my life. And I'm pretty sure it was Humpty Dumpty off the Leprechaun record. Nice. Or Mad Hatter, whichever whichever record that that song is on, <clears throat> and Steve's sound and the way he played, like I said, the precision, the articulation, the the you know the emotion, and I heard that and it was it was like holy cow, this is like you know I just at that point I started to you know go and find everything I could with Steve on it. So later, fast forward to what you're talking about here, um, uh. In, when I was doing that record, I asked Chick, I said, would you write a song for me and Steve? I want to recreate the session that you guys did when I first heard him, you know, at, at the same studio, Mad Hatter Studios. I want to recreate it with the same bass player, Anthony Jackson, uh, and you, and, and I want to put myself and my partner, Jay Oliver, that was writing all the other stuff, and, and I wanted to put myself in the middle of that session. Same engineer, Bernie Kirsch, recording. Wow, yeah. And it was just like, oh, man. And I remember I was I was as sick as a dog. I had such a bad cold. <laughs> it, was just, oh, no. it was just horrible. But Steve was so gracious. And, and we spent a lot of time talking about the parts and, and how to work out and who would take the lead and who would follow. But we really didn't talk about 
anything specific. It was very spontaneous. It was a very spontaneous session, so it was just awesome. It was, I can't can't tell you how awesome it was. It was like great, beautiful, and, yeah, yeah. Really Playing with your idol, and if you were sick, that was like your Michael Jordan flu game, man. Yeah. When he won the yeah. championship yeah, with the you. flu, so but, uh, yeah, there wasn't anything going to stop me from doing that session. Playing with Steve, right on. Well, hey, um, you know, we're talking about the new EP. I, it would be awesome if we could hear a tune from it. Um, and I know you've got the brushes nearby. I'm stalling a little bit because I want people watching. Uh, Dave and Clivia are about to perform. So if you think there's someone who would really want to see this, go ahead and click that share button. button. Let them know because uh, this is going to be a really kind of intimate, cool, exclusive performance. Um, is that all right, guys? If we... Yeah, are you asking us? Yeah, I mean, we could do a little <laughs> yeah. bit. Yeah, we're, it's, uh, you know, we don't have George Whitty here and everything. <laughs> it's in front of But let me just say, we, you know, we, we put these these songs together, and, um, you know, the, fir the first one on the record is Learning How to Fly, mm -hmm. right? And that is a Tuck and Patty tune. And you chose that because. What did I ask? Because <laughs> <Why laughs> I want to. I'm leading up to the song. That I actually do. You know? uh, uh, yeah, it's all the story about this coming out for mm -hmm. the music that I left to, to raise my beautiful daughters, Andrea. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> so learning how to fly is like how to walk out right. again. And, and then the second one is. Is it Let's Stay Together or? Love You Inside it Out. It is Love You Inside Out. Uh, I don't remember. We don't remember the order of our own scenes. <laughs> anyway, all right. So, so the one that we were going to do just a little snippet of here is, uh, is Love You Inside Out. And uh, you'll notice this is authentic Italian pizza box. Okay. Love it. <laughs> Tasty. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so, yeah, Love You Inside Out. All these arrangements that we did that uh, George did, that George Whitty did. George Whitty, yeah. um, but you kind of set the, you set the vibe with the tempos that she wanted mm -hmm. and the keys, of course. And, um, and after that, it was, uh, <clears throat> you know, we just, we just, we, and she actually, she actually kind of made me do some drum parts. Oh yeah, that, let's stay together. He we'll came talk. up with this genius version after a little bit of fight. <laughs> that I had to, uh, yeah, we to did a push record. him a little bit. We, we did a record this. together and we're still married. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm glad you did, Clivia, because that is one of my yes. favorite songs on the album. Oh, really? Let's stay together. Yeah. Oh, it plays so this. It does. Uh, uh, really? The, I, I said, do this and do that. Oh, you don't let me know what I play. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> yeah, but it came up with this beautiful, beautiful version. Yeah, it's something the for, the, for the drummers to think about, too, because it's, uh, you know, it. It's you have to listen to the, you know the vocalist when you're trying to to get something that they're hearing to support what they how they want to sing. That's that's what I mean about playing behind a vocalist. It's not just the crazy fusion stuff or you know just being on your own with instrumentalists. It's about really supporting so that they can you know voice what they want to voice. But I mean that's important with any soloist or any any right. musician really the, for a drummer that you're playing behind. But especially behind a vocalist you know you have to figure out what makes what makes them comfortable what makes the groove happen what makes the feel happen so um yeah love you inside out we did it nothing like the Bee Gees did it of course and uh you'll, you'll have to you'll have to check it out you'll have to get the record or watch the video and that yep. type of thing but it's kind of like i am no vision i'm the girl who loves you inside love 
Backwards and forwards with my heart hanging out I love no other way What am I gonna do if we lose that fire? Very nice. Very nice. (laughs) I love it. That's exactly right. And let's it. So it's it is out right now. Um, It can be purchased on your on your website, right, Clivia? Yes. Yes. CliviaTaniziMusic.com. Beautiful. And is it streaming or is it strictly purchase? Okay. It's streaming. It's uh, yeah. TuneCore put it all over the place. It's on Spotify. It's cool. All the digital stores. But now is the time to buy. Let's buy this record. These buy these. You know, I was going to say physical record, but you know, this one's a streamer. Yeah, and let's support artists around the world. Now is most certainly the time because you know those gigs are few and far between. Yeah, a really nice uh, kind of like uh, curation of material on this disc. Let's stay together, as I mentioned, um, is is one of my favorites on the album. Might be my favorite, and I think it might have to do with the groove, Dave. And correct me if I'm wrong, but this song was co-written by a drummer, right, Al Jackson Jr. Yeah, I yeah, believe so. right. yeah. 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 They called him the Human Timekeeper, you know, just yeah. for his deep, deep pocket. Dave, are some people just born with like metronome brains, um, or how do you cultivate that? How do you how do you strengthen that muscle? You know, it's, I mean, it's a good question. Um, I, when I teach, you know, um, either in my school, I have an online school, and I also do some private lessons, and, and I'm, 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 I always try to teach students to, to think about time from, from a more natural, organic place of, of correlating it to how we walk down the street or when we're doing something that we're really not consciously thinking of that how body motion dictates, you know, hmm. Uh, you know, the, t- the time and the tempo because of spatial content is what we're doing. We're putting space, you know, um, you know, between the steps. It's not the steps themselves that create the tempo. It's what we're doing with our body with the space. So it's the same thing with the drums. So I always try to, you know, talk about flowing motions and get, you know, get a consistent spatial thing going between the tempos. So whether it's, you know, whether some people are better than that than others, I I don't know. I I don't think so, really. Honestly, I think maybe what some people might be a little bit better at is adapting the 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 non disconnect between what's going on in that natural organic place mm. and the physical. But I think that's also just time investment. You know, it's a, it's about spending the time doing uh, doing something so much and for so long that the muscle memory is is just natural. You know, so very cool. Yeah. Uh, another great uh, track on this EP is Grandma's Hands by Bill Withers, who we recently lost, um, yes. but yes. was, in my opinion, you know, a vocalist, just so unique, so idiosyncratic, wrote with really strong, just natural, descriptive language. Um, when I think great lyricists, he's certainly up there in the top 10, 5, 3, maybe. Um, Clivia, have you ever done your own songwriting? Have you... Uh, try writing your own lyrics? Not yet. Okay. I'm, I'm trying. You're trying. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to do something. It's it's in the back now. It's it's secret now. <laughs> but uh, I'm trying to do something. But it's early. It's early to say yes. In your opinion, though, what makes for a great lyric? And who are some of your favorite songwriters for their lyrics? Hmm. That's difficult. Any song that speaks about love mm. and um, 
love for everything love even the shows the the love even the rock song you know they they they, they talk about love actually i am in love with one song that you don't know <laughs> anyway there's the, this song it's a rock song you know for workout actually and it, and it talks about song uh, love and uh, it's beautiful everything that is love involved the love for the life love for the people, love for the humanity and universe, everything that it's that for me, it's a great song. Totally. I agree with you hundred percent. It's an emotion we all feel. And it's one of the positive ones. Uh, you know, people have written great songs about some of the darker stuff, but a good love song, something we can all feel. Um, you know, Dave, a lot of people, when they talk about you, they fusion icon is the term they use. Um, I feel though with fusion, you know, you can kind of separate it into two or even three, you know, kind of eras because the stuff you were doing in the 80s, 90s, would you say that it had a different feel than, say, what Miles was doing in the 70s and what Fusion was like then? I guess what I'm asking is, like, is Fusion too broad of a word for jazz that's mixed with other things? Well, I mean, what you just said, though, actually describes what it actually is. It's the definition of the word. I mean, it's yeah. fusing a lot of different styles together, which is, you know, I, I think sometimes people hear the word fusion and then they, they just associate it with like an era or a right, certain right. thing, which is, I, I don't like that. No, it's like any, it's like trying to put a label on anything, you know, it, right. just, it just puts it, it classifies it too hard. It puts it into too narrow of a tunnel. So, you know, for me, the, the aspect of fusion is, um, it, it kind of means no rules to me in a sense, because mm. it, it's fusing a lot of things together. And it's it's up for grabs as far as what the, you know, what the artist kind of considers it to be. For me, the fusion aspect is is being able to to do the things that I love to do with different styles of music. I love the groove aspect. Um, I'm, I'm a big, you know, fan of Latin music. So a lot of my stuff has Latin yeah. influence. There's but there's rock and roll influence, and of course there's jazz and bebop and the triplet and all that type of feel in the music too. So, um, you know, that's what it that's what it means to me is is just being able to fuse all of those styles together. Yeah. And you know, certainly, um, that I you know that's what Herbie was doing back then. He was taking the rock and funk elements and putting them into jazz and 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 the, my you know my Clark was playing you know. Uh, he was playing jazz funk stuff right. that was killing. It was great. It was unbelievable. Right. And we were all still trying to figure out what he was doing on Africa. <laughs> and none of us could play it. You know? uh, I won't say none of us, but it's a, you know, it's rarefied air. Vinny does yes. a pretty good job. So, <laughs> yeah. But uh, just fantastic. And then, and then of course, Chick had returned to forever. And, you know, Mahavishnu right. with John McLaughlin. It's like, you know, George Duke, Billy Cobham. All these guys were doing all these great fusion bands back in the 70s, and uh, and then yes, there, there was just so much of it going on, and that's, you know, Billy Cobham's, uh, you know, spectrum was the reason I got turned on to Michael Brecker, which led to the to the Brecker brothers with Randy and, and Marlon, right. and, and uh, you know, so there's that whole lineage, and it's just, you know, it's jazz, rock, funk, you know, in my case, Latin gets thrown yep. in there a lot, like I said, so, you know. Yeah. 
it's kind of it's jazz adapting to the you know some of the popular music of the day you know and obviously yeah. that's going to shift that identity is going to shift yeah. across time yeah but you asked me too the stuff i was doing in the 80s with jay oliver i mean we yeah we had see we came out of the computer generation right right era, you know and for me growing up in new york in the 80s um, trying to get into the studio mach- uh, studio business we had to sound like a machine otherwise we didn't even work <laughs> so i had to really be precise and do that kind of stuff right and, my buddy Jay was getting into programming and the sequencers and, you know, and, and all that stuff was just dead nuts on. You'd have to be so, you know, otherwise you're flamming and it doesn't sound right. So, so everything we did back then was kind of coming out of that mindset. We, you know, we, had, we liked reverb a lot, like everybody in the 80s. <laughs> in the 80s, because, you know, yeah. I still like reverb probably too much, but that's <laughs> is what it is. You know what it, that's, that's your sound, man. Yeah. I dig it. Emotion, you know? I dig it. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah, so, um, Very cool. Hey, Cliff. I prefer to call it ambience instead of reverb. <laughs> <laughs> reverb by any other name, Dave. Right. Um, right. Clivia, I kind of want to end with this before we get into uh, some audience questions, and I think we have one or two. But for anyone, you know, in your position thinking of making a comeback, you know, maybe they played for a while and then for whatever reason had to take a break. Maybe they've never recorded and have wanted to finally get back into the instrument or put an album out. What advice do you have just about over- overcoming, say, those early challenges or some of those early fears of getting back on the bicycle? Uh, what is my uh, thoughts you mean yeah uh, for for coming back you know you took mm-hmm. a break for a while um to raise your kids and do you have any advice for anyone else yes. in a similar position yes. yeah i have the advice to don't give up hmm. never because when you give up it's kind of you are living your life in a in a place like hell so if you feel to do something, don't ever give up. <laughs> Never. Yeah. Don't do that. So just keep going. That's what Dave was telling me all the time. You know, when we were together, he was kind of pushing me to go back. But I was in the place where I was feeling bad, you know, maybe no courage, lots of fears. Oh, he says, yeah, lots yeah. of afraid. I wasn't really afraid, you know. And then, and then after a while, if you don't do the universe or god if you believe in something it pushes you to do it so it's better to not die and 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 don't do what you feel to do so don't give up beautiful beautiful well we are going to like i said take some uh questions from the audience before we do though dave you mentioned fusion you mentioned chick you may dig this, man. This is our summer 2020 issue. A very, very young chicory on the cover. We have a nice cover story with chicory in there. This has already been mailed to subscribers. It's uh, on their coffee tables in their mailboxes, but all the content for people watching may want to read this story. It's available online. You'll need a digital subscription to read it, but we're offering a special rate right now for just 99 cents per month for three months. You can unlock unlimited digital access to our website, read all of those stories, plus previous print issue stories. And for our next issue coming out in the fall, we'll receive, we'll enroll you to receive a complimentary issue. So three months of digital access plus one free print issue. Right now, that's the special offer. All right, producer Jeff, uh, do we have a question or two from the audience? Okay, Jonathan Harrington wants to know, hey, Jonathan. Uh, Dave, when recording your own projects, do you try to achieve a great drum mix before a successful take, or do you go for the mix after a successful take well first of all hey jonathan what's up hey, jonathan <laughs> uh good to see you man um 
yeah, I, I don't I don't think about the mix uh, at all, really, um, per se, uh, until until I'm done. I I'm, I have the vision of the drum sound in my head when I'm doing a project. So in the recording phase, I make sure that first uh, I'm sounding good on the acoustic instrument that I have the instrument sounding the way that I want it to. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So that when I when I touch it uh, and I'm able to get my vision out through the you know through the instrument itself, and then I just have to make the make sure that it's captured uh, correctly. I don't use uh, I, I might use a little bit of EQ going in because I usually record my own stuff. So um, at this at this stage, uh, and if I'm not, I'll suggest to an engineer to because I know my my snare for example is a little bit on the dull side. It's a brass shell that I usually use, so I tell. I, prefer to have a little bit of high end on that, for example. So I'll, pre I'll pre-EQ some stuff. I never use compression going in. Um, so yeah, and uh, actually my system <coughs> won't allow me to think too much about mixed stuff when I'm, when I'm doing it, because I'm on a Pro Tools HD native system, which doesn't allow any plugins basically to track uh, without problems. So it's, it's, pre it's pretty raw. So I make sure that the drums, you know, my room is set, the mics are set, everything is, is uh, in the recording phase is captured correctly, so the mix phase is not so difficult. Cool. Well, thank you for the question, Jonathan. Hope that helped. Somebody had a question. I don't know if I'll be able to pull it up, but it was about Master Plan. Um, and, you know, I've read in some of your interviews that you felt Master Plan, this is your album from uh, 1990, was kind of, uh, you know, this was really where you, you reached a... a you broke ground as a drummer, so to say, kind of achieved a new style and some new developments. I'm curious, um, how was that the case? Uh, and, uh, you know, what kind of new technical approach did you discover with that album? Uh, well, I, I, I wouldn't, I, it's so hard to talk about yourself, especially, especially 30 years ago. When is this 40 years ago? Oh, okay. I don't even know anymore. No, 30 years, I'm not that old. Yeah. Okay, so. I mean, it was yesterday. Yeah. It was only yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, you know, with that record, it was kind of more about, um, like I said, Jay and I were partners in the project that kind of led up to that record, which was an instructional product called Contemporary Drummer Plus One. Um, and so we kind of honed in our, our ability to record on very cheap equipment, by the way. We did this all, except for the title track, which we did, I already told you, with Chick, um, in that studio. We did all the rest of it in Jay's studio in St. Louis, which you've been to. So mm, you saw yes, the room where we recorded all that stuff. Yes. And and um, yeah, we did it on a tack scorpion board and, you know, half inch, you know, analog tape with a lot of DBX and compression and, <laughs> and reverb. Lots of reverb. Maybe, maybe four I'm sensing a theme here. I'm sensing a theme yeah. here. Yeah. Um, and so it, it was just an opportunity to, to really you know, explore our compositional aspect uh, of, of what we wanted to do, like I said, in our idea of the fusion aspect uh, of, of the styles that we wanted to write in. So it was a, a very diverse record, which most of mine are. It's, mm -hmm. uh, um, I never, never had much luck with radio play, as, as is the case with a lot of fusion jazz guys, because the records don't really fit a, a formula or a platform. Right, so, right. Um, but we we weren't going for that. We were going for this is our stuff and here it is. So um, you know a lot of, a lot of I have to tell a story. There, there there's um, when I was living in in uh, Mount Vernon, New York at the time, 
when that record happened, uh, my neighbor was was a really old, sweet man that, that uh, said, oh, my kid used to play. I got some drums upstairs, you know, so <laughs> in my attic. And he gave me this snare drum that was a Kent snare drum. I mean, this thing was probably $45 at Sears at some point. Right? Wow. And, uh, and it had a, a very thick head on the bottom, a Remo Emperor head, right, a snare side head. And, and the top head and this drum was just, it was a wood drum, eight lug drum. Uh, and and I, put a new, I put a new head on it and I played it and it just had this vibe. So I used it on most of the record. <laughs> including Tower of Inspiration and any of the other wow. stuff. Um, I didn't use it on Master Plan, though. I think that was my piccolo, the Yamaha piccolo. Um, but that drum was mo was most of the core of the drum sound on that, which was mixed way too loud. But, you know, the, um, it's... I, I kind of wish I had the opportunity to go back and remix that. The cheap little attic drum. No, I love that. Hey, if Charlie Parker can record on a plastic sax, you know, why not? <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. We will end with this question, and then I will let you two go to bed, I promise. Um, it is from Fernando, and he says, how do you balance your career with marriage? You have lots of tours and busy all year. Well, How do you make all, it work? Hi, Fernando. Fernando's in my school, and he's an incredible. Ciao, Fernando. He's an incredible drummer, Fernando. Uh -huh. Very cool, hey, Fernando. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's never easy, man. It's never easy to to balance uh, to balance music and life. It's it's a, it's always a struggle. But but I have to say that that finding someone that that understands and appreciates what you do and and has you know, enough of their own thing going on as well really helps. I mean, clearly is just, she's so supportive and so understanding. I mean, listen, we've been, we've been long distance for 11 years, basically. We don't, we, you know, wow. we're back and forth and just kind of crossing and doing all this type of, you know, meeting here and meeting there. And, um, you know, it's my, ter my third time around, her third time around. So this time we're kind of just chill, you know, and, um, and like I said, we support each other and what we're trying to do. And and uh, but this, like I said, the pandemic was not in the in the plan. So not for anybody, obviously. <laughs> right. So uh, so that put a little bit of a crimp into our usual uh, meeting style. But um, but yeah, it's I mean it's it's a struggle because as musicians, you know, especially when we're trying to hone a a, a thing that takes um, you know technical practice, like I said, to to hone the muscle memory. You gotta spend time doing it, man. There's just not um, another way. Around yeah, but it. how you manage to keep your wife next to you? Maybe Fernando <laughs> wants to know that. <laughs> right? You're just Fernando. good old charming Dave. I mean, how you do? <laughs> it's the drums. Partner, yeah, it. there it is. I love your partner. Support, you know. You love it. your that's partner. It. That's, that's it. it. That's it. Beautiful that's and. Well, the new album is a just beautiful document to this special thing you got going. Love's Way Back, it is out right now. Uh, just a brilliant EP. Go stream it, but more importantly, go buy it. Um, thanks to you both so much for joining me for the last Thank call you. at the wee hours of the morning over there. I sincerely appreciate it. We, Thank you, Brian. Yeah, we're very, very, very thankful and happy to be here, Brian. Thanks yes. for thanks for having us. Yes, and, we were excited we, to do this. And we hope everybody out there uh, watching is uh, is healthy and can get through all of this uh, crazy stuff and, and uh, stay positive and, and be well. And, uh, uh, cheers to that. With Once again. With
Exactly. Exactly. Well, I will say goodbye to you guys. I'll see you backstage. I'm going to sign off with people watching at home. But thank you again. It was our pleasure for having you. Thanks for going one last round with the last call. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Wow. So thank you to Dave and Clivia for joining us on the last call. Again, that EP, Love's Way Back, it is out right now. You're definitely going to want to go check it out. Um, as a matter of fact, that's where our sponsors, Cambridge Audio, come in. You're going to want to listen to this EP a lot. So uh, why not do so with Cambridge Audio, makers of some of the finest audio equipment in the world? Check out their incredibly stylish premium Alva TT, the world's first Bluetooth APTX HD turntable that lets you put the turntable anywhere in the the room. All right. Well, thank you for watching tonight. If you like what you saw, go ahead and follow us on Facebook. Subscribe on YouTube. We come to you every night at 8.30 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you with us. I am going to shut down the bar here. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. I'm Brian Zimmerman. Thanks for watching, everyone. So long.